Welcome everyone to the 13th episode of the B2B Startup Sales Podcast. Uh, Patrick here. Um, nice that you tune in again. I talked today with VJ, um, my former colleague at Starmind. He was VP Marketing at Starmind. We're going to talk a little bit about marketing sales, um, how to work together, what is uh, what, what does what is the, the most important parts of marketing, um, what you should do if you're marketing as a startup. Um, what should you outsource, what not, what, what should you definitely do yourself um, and whether you should actually first hire somebody in sales or somebody in marketing. So that's an interesting, I think, was a very interesting conversation. Also, something additional, VJ is taking a few, one year off every 10 years. Um, that I find really interesting as well, a concept that you might adapt. Um, in some bigger, smaller version of it. Um, and because, yeah, he learns a lot about himself and knows and can plan ahead what he's going to, what he wants to do. And also, Vijay has just started his own podcast. So you might Google for that or look into that as well. And yeah, wish you a good episode. Have fun. And I hope you find it, find it valuable and happy to hear your feedback on it. Have fun. Welcome, everyone, to the 13th episode of the B2B Tech Sales Podcast. Today, I'm really happy um, to welcome Vijay Vishwanathan. Hello, Vijay. Really glad to have you, to have you here. Thank you, Patrick, for the invitation. Um, I really enjoy our conversations and appreciate the way you think. Um, so I'm thrilled to be here and recording this. Yeah, same, same for me. We had a lot of interesting discussions about books, marketing and sales today. Um, I think we talk mainly about, or one of the core topics will be marketing, the interlinked marketing and sales, especially in the context of startups, um, how to start with your marketing strategy, how marketing and sales should work together. I think that's uh, the, the topic we want to tackle today. First, Vijay, I'd like you to yeah say a few things um, about yourself. That would be awesome for our guests. Sure. Um, well, you didn't tell me this is going to be episode number 13. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, OK, so uh, a little bit about my, um, my personal background. Um, it's uh, unusual in some sense in that uh, growing up, I had frequent, fairly big moves. Um, so every three years with my family, we moved to a new country uh, and often to a new continent. Uh, and after leaving home, I continued moving often because of university studies and work. Um, and you know, looking back when growing up, I was maybe aware of how different a life path I had. But at the same time, I went to international schools where many other kids were in a similar situation. So it was really only as an adult that mm -hmm. I began to fully appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of my professional background, uh, my first job was as a software engineer um, at a large marketing agency. Uh, and after that, I took a year off, did my master's, uh, and then spent a decade doing marketing at early stage startups. Um, so there were three uh, three different startups in these past 10 years. The first two were B2C, and the most recent one was B2B. Uh, and that's where we uh, met and got to know each other. Yeah. 
Yeah, really glad that happened. Uh, we've been working for together for about a year. Um, really appreciate, really appreciated that collaboration and that. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the easiest collaboration that I can think of because you know out there one hears so much of um, yeah between sales and marketing. It's so hard to to collaborate to see the you know that the marketing knowledge goes to sales and the sales people tell the marketing people what is going on out there um, and it felt so easy um, and so practical so pragmatic to work with you um, so yeah but what also is very interesting and what i really liked that uh, you you've chosen the past year to take one year off you're still in that phase right so still enjoying um, I'm, uh, you told me you read a lot of books you started or you got into sports again regularly and things like that so uh, what, what would interest me is how did you come how did you choose to take a year off because it's a big decision i really like i mean this decision is, is really cool that you can just do that and and um yeah don't have the fear to to lose track or or anything so maybe you tell a little bit about that decision and what you did um this year yeah um, so first thing I would say is it's something that I really enjoy that I find works for me. This is the second time I'm doing it and um, I can confidently say I will do it again in the future as well. Maybe maybe yeah. once in 10 years, I think that, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that works well for me. I think over a 10 year span, I change uh, so much as a person that it's, um, it, it gives a, like, a wide open time in which to unlearn old coping mechanisms, unlearn old bad habits, and learn new good habits. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so specifically, you know, in terms of why did I uh, take a break at this point? Well, uh, as I mentioned, I was at uh, three early stage startups, and um, I, I realized, uh, you know, I needed not a, a vacation, uh, you know, but really a long, wide open break. And I think part of that comes down to the kind of person I am. And uh, uh, I've, I've realized that uh, in my case, I get energy and inspiration from having wide open time. Uh, I think some people get in energy and inspiration from a lot of activity, but for me, that, that openness uh, um, is, is very refreshing. And I, I find that you know working a full-time job plus the just the basics of life, you know, that takes a, that takes up most of one's time. Uh, and then, you know, the evenings and the weekends and even even the like quarterly vacations uh, serve more as a refresh just to, to keep you on track and performing throughout. Mm. Um, but when, when I have this wide open time um, is when I can work on, you know, really what I consider like foundational life things. So, you know, this past year, it's been, uh, uh, you know, I put a lot of thought and, and effort into sleeping, eating, exercise, learning, relationships, you know, all those things that are super important in life, mm -hmm. but not necessarily urgent, um, but over time really add up. Um, yeah. And so, so overall, it's really been personal time off, and it's only been since uh, the beginning of this month that I've got back more into into professional matters. Um, and the the one main project uh, 
I've been working on, as you know, is that uh, since the beginning of this month, I've been working on launching a podcast, which will be out soon. Yes, and I look forward to hear that uh, for sure. I like the concept um, that you just said with with things that are important but not urgent. So most of the, you know, we 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 tend to prioritize things that are urgent but not important because that mm. feels kind of they are more pressing and we need to do those and then we forget about the important but not not urgent uh, not urgent things. Um, yeah. And it's amazing that you decide I'm going to focus on this for a year. And uh, yeah, I, I really, I definitely really like, really like that decision. Um, yeah. I think it's, 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 it's very unique from my perspective, from my very subjective perspective that you are able, especially when you have nothing else to do, like not, not no work to do, let's say, not nothing else, obviously, but yeah. no work to do, that you yeah. still find your, find your, day you know that you you follow a certain pattern or you you are you can you can organize yourself you don't fall into the trap to you know don't do anything and then the next day you, because that's what i experienced for myself like the last time i had two months off and i, I was in between jobs and i was i i have almost realized how people feel who don't have a job like i get it gets to a vicious cycle more that uh I should do something today, but you don't have to do something today because you already have a job. So I really struggled with this and I'm amazed to see that that you managed to do this. Yeah, I think part of that is also maybe how you enter into it. Uh, you know, if it was um, whether you voluntarily kind of like decided I want some time off or if it was just time in between jobs when you're you yeah. know, looking for the, for the next thing. Um, yeah, and then I think it comes down to to personality type, uh, and you know, in, in this in this period, this one year off, it's really been a lot about self development and learning. The last time I did it, it was a lot about travel, and at, at that point in my life, that worked well. Uh, obviously, this year, I mean, <laughs> that wouldn't have worked, but in any case, that wasn't the plan. So, yeah. Uh, so it wasn't the plan, right? So you didn't have like all your plans um, got. Yeah, for, uh, fortunately not. I mean, the first month was visiting family, but that was more just for uh, for catch up. Um, and then, uh, but uh, after that, we've, we've done some small trips, but uh, the it wasn't planned as a travel sabbatical. Yeah. May I ask what were some or one or two of the bad habits that you got that you could get rid of? Do you remember? Yeah, like uh, having execute uh, having excuses uh, for not exercising. And uh, now, now it's just part of my everyday routine. You know, when <laughs> when you have the whole day open, there's no excuse for, at least for me, to not go. So, uh, so I've been able to incorporate that. And then, then you really, like, for me, I've been able to kind of make that into a positive addiction where I, uh, I look forward to that feeling afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Um, so. Let's get into the topic, marketing, sales uh, for startups. Let's imagine a situation, you, somebody founded a company and uh, now they are about to, to kick off and they want to hire somebody, marketing or a sales person. Um, so <laughs> I want to ask you, what, what would you advise that person basically? Or what would you, what, what would you um, based on what would you tell that person? Yeah, better sales, better invest in marketing and, and why? And why that decision? Yeah, um, 
you know, I don't have a very strong viewpoint here. Uh, what I would say, though, from having worked at um, two seed staged companies that then went on to become much bigger, is uh, it's really important, uh, especially at that early stage, to get the right type of person. So, you know, in startups in general, uh, versatility is very important. Mm -hmm. But when, especially at that very early stage, when you're talking about the first person in a function, yeah. um, that that needs to be someone who is excited about working on all aspects of it. So, you know, in marketing, that might mean uh, figuring out the messaging and positioning, experimenting with digital channels, writing emails, analyzing metrics. Um, so it has to be someone who's ready to embrace uh, embrace all those aspects. And I think that's true, not just for like the first marketer, but also for uh, uh, the first people in a startup in general. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your general advice would be try to find somebody who's really actually work like who's really versatile um, in what this person gonna do. But let's say now, um, do you have an answer to if that person's versatility is more in sales area, like more into let's say calling people, cold mailing, cold calling, and uh, doing the, the full sales cycle maybe, or more into positioning would you invest at the beginning more into the positioning more into the um whatever marketing activities sme or seo or or things like that what would you think in what direction to go for or, or how to make a decision at, at at all yeah so i think in terms of um hiring that first salesperson it's important to have some customers first just to understand um you know, is this viable? So you're not hiring someone to sell something that can't be sold. And yeah. also so that you already have some uh, first inputs on what actually works as selling points. And, you know, usually somebody who's um, a, a co-founder or, uh, you know, somebody who's very involved from the beginning is well positioned to make those early sales. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would, be, I would be hesitant to hire a salesperson without the company ever having sold anything first yeah and marketing you would hire a marketing person without having <laughs> got some clients before so i uh, i would definitely have somebody um who is um, allocating some mind space to marketing from the get-go i think that's important uh you know i think with the early stage marketers what's very important is also uh them being able to, able to realize what they can get done themselves versus what they can get more effectively done with outside help. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not necessarily hiring people right away, but what they can um, you know, get done through freelancers or agencies uh, quickly to, to test things uh, and then move on from there. Mm -hmm. So if there's somebody, if there's somebody within the initial founding team who's uh, well positioned to uh, uh, to be working on that, then then that would be great. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, agency and uh, outside knowledge is probably also always quite viable there, right? Yeah, I mean, I think my my general philosophy with with marketing teams is that you know whatever you can get done by freelancers and agencies, uh, that it it's usually uh, a good option to. Uh, to get it done through those channels. Uh, and then really it comes down to what is absolutely core, what cannot 
be done outside and that has to be done in-house by uh, by mm -hmm. a marketing person so if it's a if it's an innovative new product then you know the positioning and messaging definitely has to be done in-house if uh, uh, you know the, the example that uh, that I've heard is Apple can't outsource uh, marketing and design right like that's that's so central to who they are yeah um, yeah yeah what 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 do you think you could um, you could outsource rather quickly? So I mean, depending on the company, maybe design, uh, design and uh, creative uh, is something that you can get done very effectively with freelancers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in general, I would say the, the 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 core positioning and messaging is is better done in house. Core positioning, messaging, and that's probably. What would, what you would say also is the is one of the first things a company should also focus on. Even I mean, even the salesperson when the salesperson starts, it, yeah. no matter who who it is, a sales or a marketing person, but positioning, I think, would be one of the key points. Or what what do you what else do you think is is important? Yeah, and I I think that's that's where it's important to decide what the the company story is. What category the the company is uh playing in so to speak um and then yeah so the, so that is uh, that is definitely something uh, very important early on mm -hmm. yeah company story that's an interesting one um <laughs> do you <laughs> like the story of the founders or uh, what, what would you what, what would you mean by company story what would you... the, like in terms of what uh, challenge the company is helping customers solve. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, <laughs> that's what the salespeople don't understand, right? So, <laughs> yeah. What do you think is needed so that marketing, I'm, I'm not sure if you have seen different environments, but um, yeah, well, you have obviously, but yeah. uh, not sure if if the work between marketing and sales was always or was easy or tough, but maybe you describe that a little bit and and uh, and what what is needed that the work between marketing and sales can make can be made well, like that they learn from each other, that the knowledge that comes from sales goes into marketing, and that the marketing marketing is providing the right you know problems that. Yeah. It's all out there for, for the salespeople and the right information. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, I, so I have worked a lot in B2C environments where it's really uh, like the marketing uh, product collaboration is very close. But, uh, you know, from, from my time at uh, B2B, uh, I would say one, one mindset that I heard articulated well recently that I think resonates with me is uh, marketing's job is to make sales easier. And I think that's a that's a very good way to to position it because it it underlines the fundamental alignment that's required between marketing and sales. And you know, alignment is one of these buzzwords that's used uh, often and everywhere. But I think in, in this situation, actually fits yeah. uh, fits the need. That's that's really what you need. Um, so I think what you want to strictly avoid is a situation of marketing just lobbing things over to sales. Uh, you want uh, an agreement and contract between uh, marketing and sales and an open dialogue. Um, sales should very much be on um, uh, on the same page 
with marketing KPIs. So both teams should agree that, you know, those are in fact things that help drive sales. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And marketing KPIs, what should those be? Like what should be marketing be measured on or how would you do, how would you go, go with that? Yeah, um, so my, <laughs> my answer here, as in many situations is, it depends, but um... <laughs> actually, no. I mean, it's we, today we tend to describe that that reaction to legal people, right? Because they already say it depends. <laughs> for every per, like it really depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but I you know I can share a, a few guiding principles um, that. Uh, uh, that I have around KPIs, um, I, I would say for, for marketing specifically and in general. Uh, so the first thing is I think uh, KPIs need to be uh, simple and uh, not many, right? So really a, an important part of KPIs is the key aspect of it, right? They're, they're key performance indicators. So you can mm -hmm. measure many other metrics, mm -hmm. um, uh, but you agree that you know some of the other ones might not be key. Uh, so th there should be a small set of uh, metrics that are simple to understand. That you don't you don't need a like uh, elaborate explanation to explain uh, to explain why they're why they're important. Um, the second thing is they should be meaningful. Um, so it's important to distinguish between vanity metrics, uh, which are tempting because they're uh, they're easy to measure and easy to compare. Uh, so a typical example in marketing would be like followers, you know, um, easy, to, easy to measure and easy to compare, but um, does that really drive the business? Uh, so, you know, in, in the meaningful aspect of it is, uh, can everybody agree that the metric going up is a good thing? Um, and then the third thing is just uh, KPIs that are reliable and consistent. So. Uh, can, is this a KPI that can be reliably measured? Uh, you know, there's some things that are just difficult to measure. It can be, it can be measured, can be compared week over week, quarter over quarter. Um, and uh, also what I mean by consistency is that uh, if there's a change in tactics, will this indicator no longer be important? Then that's probably not a great KPI. Something like LinkedIn followers is not a KPI because, uh, we can't all agree that if it goes up, that's better for the company. Mm -hmm. But if it's, um, you know, number of uh, calls booked through marketing leads, mm -hmm. we can agree that that going up is better. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think so. Yeah. Depending on what that leads are, right? <laughs> in sales, <laughs> those leads, those leads, we can't use those leads. Nobody actually wants. They no. I'm I'm, I'm joking. Obviously, um, depends on the message and and everything that is again that everything is aligned that you send out the right messages, right to to get those inbound leads in. Now. Inbound is usually something that is connected to marketing, right? You do your marketing, um, you use your marketing activities to generate inbound leads, basically. And yeah. outbound is usually with sales. Did you have that also in, in the past? Or sometimes I've seen, um, you know, SDRs, so the outbound salespeople are also in the marketing team, basically. Yeah. How would you, how would you do that? Yeah, so I don't have any experience with the outbound team being integrated mm -hmm. with the marketing team. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
and i think it uh yeah i think i think both options are viable it kind of depends who the who the individual leaders are what uh, uh what the, the the team uh yeah what would work better for that specific team mm -hmm. okay now we haven't at, at the company i'm now obviously well we are 11 people right two people in sales um nobody in marketing yeah uh, that you probably also see from our website <laughs> yeah <laughs> not, i did check out your website today yeah it's not uh, it's not it's not well designed it's just the most important things on there and yeah we also don't int you know we generate we have one inbound lead this year one and okay. one last year so no inbound leads um, yeah. i mean do you think we 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 need to invest more in that area or do you would you say <laughs> okay you probably need to know a little bit more about the company obviously um, but i usually you know I mean, I think I could already give you an answer without knowing that much, okay. which is, it would, uh, it would probably, uh, it's worth your time at least doing some testing to mm -hmm. see if there are certain channels that can bring in high quality leads, mm -hmm. and then if the you know those channels do exist. Usually I find that there are a few channels that work really well, that are viable, that you can actually scale and get a lot of uh, uh, leads and customers through. Then it probably makes sense to you know, invest in terms of uh, marketing resources and have a budget and have a person. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, but I think you know, with, it always comes down to, uh, to testing. There's a, just because other players in the industry are using a certain channel successfully doesn't mean that that could work for you. You know, uh, I've heard of, I've, I've even heard of brands for whom like PR is actually a source of leads, but, but that, that again depends on your brand, you know? Um, yeah, and then so, I, we know, we both know from the company we've been before, Starmind, that PR is a, is a channel to generate leads, right? That's yeah. A, that's one example, I guess. But what channels would you think? What, what channels would you think of first, and what would you measure with those? Yeah, um, that's that's a great question. Um, I, I think my my basic philosophy here is um, experiment widely with what might work, and then double down on what measurably does work. Um, you know, so as I mentioned, there are usually only a few channels that will work really well. And at an early stage, it makes sense to go really deep on those uh, rather than spread yourself too too thin. You know, mm -hmm. it, it takes a takes a certain amount of expertise to to uh, to to be productive in each uh, channel. And um, and here, I would recommend the the bullseye framework in the in the book Traction by uh, mm -hmm. uh, Gabriel Weinberg. Uh, I, basically, it's a framework that. Um, explains how you can prioritize which channels to test uh, and gives you some uh, some framing questions to ask uh, in terms of uh, deciding which channels to go with. So you arrange all the potential channels within uh, this kind of three-layer framework um, and then test each one systematically and decide uh, where to invest in. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little bit, like uh, a few priority channels that you would go for first? Like social well social media it depends where you're where you're you know the, the, the icp the ideal customer provider the personas are going but what what do you do 
Yeah, so I mean, I think that, uh, uh, generally channels where you can get fast feedback uh, just work better for testing, right? Like uh, something like uh, PR is is a much uh, slower cycle. Um, mm -hmm. So, so the digital channels work great for that. They're they're easier to measure. They're easier to get uh, feedback on. Uh, but yeah, it comes down to uh, you know where where your customers are. Um, and I think the uh, the advantage of using this framework is you start uh, you kind of remove your assumptions and then uh, then you have certain hypotheses and then you test them. But uh, if you just kind of go with gut instinct, you might completely miss out on some channels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What channels are usually missed out? Do you have an idea? What what people wouldn't think of first? Um, a couple of years back, I would have said podcasting. Uh, uh, and you see, you see a lot of brands come out with uh, with podcasts right now, and that's a that's a great way to connect with uh, your niche of uh, buyers and decision makers. Uh, it's uh, it, you know, it it helps you build trust with your potential buyer. They they hear your voice. They hear your brand's voice. You can really give it personality, and uh, you can get to them at a regular cadence and really deliver value to them. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, we 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 were thinking about starting one as well, actually, uh, in in our in our company because especially when you when you talk to a specific persona in like in Switzerland, let's say you probably can you probably can build something really quickly and it doesn't necessarily yet exist like for us uh, public affairs or legal and compliance people um, podcast we haven't we haven't found so we were thinking of doing one that is actually in our um, talking about our topic that we that we sell into so podcast is one thing that you think was underestimated you have something else that has been underestimated or that is underestimated uh, yeah I think another one that is um undervalued in general, I would say is email. Uh, newsletters have a lot of potential. And of course, the really big upside with email is that you own your list and uh, you uh, own that delivery channel. Uh, you're not depending on uh, some some algorithm to, to maybe get it delivered. So uh, I think email is a, is a great one as well. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's that's, that's a surprising answer for me, at least. I mean, uh, because you know, you you know the newsletters, and you are in your email inbox, and very often, or most of the time, read <laughs> them right away. When I see it's a it's an, a newsletter email framework, I would delete them, uh, delete them right away. So you're not getting good emails. <laughs> um, Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it's it's not easy to stand out um, as an email, but uh, you you know the, the the fact is people check their email every day, uh, many times a day. Yeah. So if if uh, you know if you can get through to them with the with the right message, uh, and consistently deliver value, right? So it can't just be a, a hard sell email every time. Yes. Uh, emails, just one, one thing I would add there is it's important that you build your list. So uh, just buying a bunch of emails and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, blasting those people is not going to work because they're not going to know who you are. But when, when people uh, engage with your brand um, and see enough value to subscribe to a newsletter, then there you really have a chance.
Mm -hmm. So you can't, so you mean you can't really look for people and then put them on an email list and then send out an email. You, you have to make people subscribe first and then you would kind of build a nurturing campaign or what's, what are, is that the right way? You would use email, that's the way? Yeah, I, I'm talking more about like in the context of like a, a regular newsletter from your uh, from your company. I mean, of course, if you're doing like um, prospecting, that's that's a slightly different uh, ballgame. But but in terms of just keeping keeping your, I mean, this could be existing customers, this could be all the other uh, relevant people, keeping them engaged in a regular email newsletter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. And they should be not that much about your company. I think actually, I see in the, in the email letters that I've seen that work well. It's really just delivering a lot of value, and already the fact that it comes from your company is a uh, is a reminder. Yeah, so that you would probably add to you know general outbound sales because we use a lot of email as well, especially in Europe. It works still really really well, as you say. People use their emails. It's the the professional channel that people interact with. So it's pretty easy to reach out to people. And especially if you have a little bit of an innovative, not, not even innovative, but a different approach than everybody else, uh, you yeah. can reach to people really easily. So, but these email, these email outreach campaigns, would you, is there a responsibility? Would you say that it's easier in marketing done, um, even for the first outreach, or would you put that into sales? Um, what, what do you think? Uh, so if it's an outreach campaign, I think that would work better in sales. But if it's um, like the ongoing email newsletter, that I would put in marketing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have podcasts, we have, emails that are that you say you still uh, yeah. undervalued is there a third one you would say mm, slide uh, is undervalued or not by many companies i mean i think linkedin works really well as well um especially now that uh, you know it's transformed from what was essentially a static cv to really a social network where you have people posting content and there's uh, there's a lot of rich ways of engaging with uh with people, um, mm -hmm. I haven't used it myself, but I've seen that you know in recent days LinkedIn has launched LinkedIn Stories, um, and it's you know I think that that's part of a more general trend where B two B marketing is uh, and B two B is just becoming more consumer like in in general, um, and you see that. Uh, you know, the the expectation of people is not like a very sterile kind of corporate feel, but more uh, more engaging, more personal. Uh, so you can, uh, you know, right now, there are probably not many companies that are doing it. So if you're one of the first companies that's doing stories, you'll show up at the at the top of the app. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and of course, the content has to fit the channel, right? So stories is a lot more informal than your website, right? So uh, like if, if even if a company is doing stories, it would probably have to be one person from that company conveying the message. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So uh, what do you think, talking about changes, what do you think has changed in marketing the past, let's say, five years? 
Yeah. Um, so I, related to that, I would say that, um, you know, in B2B, uh, I see brands that have a lot more personality. Um, I think of brands like uh, like Drift and Gong and um, where you even see individual team members from the uh, uh, from the company really being big advocates. And, uh, you know, even in terms of the uh, the design and uh, and messaging, it's a lot more informal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you think like in in very specifically in today's world, like uh, home and work have merged in a way like never before. Right. Like we're literally people are sitting in their homes and, and working. Um, so there's a. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah there there has been there there has been like kind of the that uh, uh like a loss of formality um and i think overall overall that's a good thing um and then overall uh, and then another thing is also just um a more consumer like experience so you know even in b2b now it's table stakes to have a really good website uh to have fast response times uh you can't have a form that people fill in and then you get back to them in 10 business days. Mm-hmm. And what, what about the, the channels? Like you were saying LinkedIn, right? That, that most, more and more is posted on LinkedIn. As you said, it's uh, now because of that an undervalued channel. I think from five years ago, I'm not sure if, if companies have done a lot via LinkedIn. I'm actually just also following that since maybe one or two years, I guess, very, very, yeah, very often. And, yeah, obviously for us it's a very um, in sales you use the tool very like daily let's say is that a marketing yeah. as well now so yeah there, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of marketing options there's a lot of ways to reach people on linkedin and there's also just a great content channel you know to post videos audio clip and um i i think another thing is you can repurpose some of your existing content and put it on linkedin Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, and what do you think? What skills are needed for people if I want to start in marketing uh, today? What skills do I need to be successful at it? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so I think in marketing, now it's actually similar to i would say in many other areas of work uh you need to be very adaptable and you need to be a good learner um it, i think that's much more important than even having many years of experience at a, on a specific tool or platform or even working with this specific uh methodology um you know or, or like uh, uh, framework of marketing because all those things are rapidly evolving. So I think it 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 comes down to um, being a curious learner and uh, being fearless and adapting, mm-hmm. willing to experiment. Uh, you know, if you look for some in terms of specific skills that are useful to have, I think writing and communication is absolutely key. Um, uh, especially if you're an early stage marketer, you know, you're, you're doing a, a lot of that yourself. Being analytical is important as well. There's a lot more uh, um, uh, data involved in, in marketing now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think the, the, the 
the main point is just uh, being able to learn uh, and adapt. Mm. Yeah, I think that applies for probably all professions. And uh, I like to put in the, 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 the writing as well, because writing is probably one thing why I've, I would never become a good marketer, because I, I kind of write like, you know, long texts or, or it's hard to focus on that and to, to really, yeah, to, to really do that. Is that something that comes easy for you? You know, when you say, when, yeah, I have I say your VJ our positioning and, uh, and is that something that comes very easy for you? Yeah. So for me, uh, writing has always come easier. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I have, uh, I'm very strong with design, um, or brand, but something like writing has uh, come easier. But I think writing is uh, is a is a muscle that you need to continually exercise, and uh, uh, and you can get better with time. You so how would you do that? Should I should I write um, a master thesis finally, or <laughs> how would you <laughs> how would you practice writing? I think a great way is just writing, like you know, professionally, write on LinkedIn often. You know, and sometimes sometimes you'll get. Uh, great feedback sometimes you won't um but i think the consistency is uh is really important there and uh the quantity is is important there like you just need to write continually and then uh, and then you will get better mm -hmm. yeah so i have one <laughs> one last little bit controversial questions you may have something uh, to this a little bit philosophical about marketing you know marketing is influencing the way using psychology to yeah. to make people behave a certain way but not necessarily always doing what is best for the people right everybody wants to sell what they have um, and they use psychology and these tricks to make people yeah to to, to make people buy stuff and um, we, we both know and we both think are like quite minimalist in, in that way um, or I'm not sure about you exactly but uh, like not to buy too many stuff makes you much more happy but marketing feels like with the tricks it's kind of manipulative um, how do you think that has changed or what, 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 what would you say to that yeah um, so that's something I would say that is you know there's definitely that in marketing but it's not only marketing I mean you see that in uh, in product and in sales as well, where it it comes down to it at times where um, the function is pushing people to do things that they then later regret, right? So mm -hmm. whether that's buying something or like, let's say, for example, um, with a product, overuse it, right? And mm -hmm. then they, they later regret that. But if, you know, in, in marketing, if you are... Uh, communicating uh, and promoting something and getting something to buy in, uh, getting someone to buy into, into what you're providing and they enjoy that and that makes them better and they don't regret that, that's what you want, you know? Mm -hmm. What about we may regret to have bought the smartphones <laughs> like uh, all together in two or three years, even more. But that's something that comes up quite often, doesn't it? Like the, the overuse of the smartphone, constantly looking at the screen. And uh, I mean, that could not have been known uh, like in 2008, I guess, that this could actually be, become an issue. 
but yeah yeah um yeah i would say that's a that's a systemic thing where there's um very high incentives for companies to um get people on their devices all the time so um yeah i think as a society we need to put in put in checks there mm -hmm. yeah i agree so last last question Micha. you decided now after three startups um to go into corporate world um, i guess last time we spoke you said you want to you want to go marketing corporate world when i told that what to one of my friends he said yeah that's very obvious because you know then it's more interesting you can handle with a lot more money than you can with startups <laughs> <laughs> is that the reason or is there any is there other reasons you say yeah you want to try the corporate world uh so i would say the overwhelming reason is I want to uh, try kind of the other end of the spectrum. Uh, so, you know, after 10 years of being super scrappy, always rolling up my sleeves, doing, mm -hmm. you know, almost everything uh, myself or just with, with immediate team members, um, that, that's, that's been a fabulous learning experience uh, and you get so much out of that. Uh, but there is also real value in having uh, a larger team, having um, having mentors, having established uh, practices and models that you can enter and be a part of, uh, rather than kind of like you know building everything from the ground up. Um, so I hope uh, to take everything that I've learned from startups uh, and then be able to apply that well in in a larger environment. Mm. Yeah, I wish you all the best for that. Um, we keep in touch. Thank you very much for that conversation. It was really interesting. And I look forward, I look forward to being your podcast feature someday. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. We'll have to do one where we, we talk about uh, books and sales. So. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's about books, right? The, the one, yeah, books and... Uh, so uh, the... Um, Oh yeah, I'll just mention the name of the podcast. So it's called the On Path Podcast, mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to be a multi-season podcast. So in this first season, I'm interviewing uh, marketers, product managers, and engineers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as you know, I'm very into books, so I also am thinking of doing kind of some in-between episodes with uh, talking about books, and then also having guests and talking about books together and things like that. Yeah, yeah I liked it. I liked it. So I definitely. Definitely look forward to to talk about some books with you in that. Thank you, Patrick, and uh, thank you for uh, inviting me. And thank you, Vijay, for coming. And uh, yeah, um, look forward to see you soon.